Hi, I'm Carissa Schlott. And I am Sharice Schlott. Welcome to Between Between Us, a podcast that highlights our relationship as sisters, providing a safe space to share our stories. These conversations highlight unity and connection, the through lines that connect all of us as human beings. Before we dive in, we would like to highlight that the views expressed in each episode are a product of our own research and experiences. Our opinions are not representative of any professional affiliations we may have. Episode 3. Fight like a girl! Hi everybody, it's Carissa and Sharice back for episode 3, a conversation just between the two of us and all of you. Yay, welcome. Hello everyone. Thanks again for tuning in. Yeah, and I think Sharice and I uh, really wanted to highlight as newbies to this podcast game, podcasting, we wanted to highlight some of the things that we've learned so far, some some bloopers and blunders and things that have not gone smoothly and some things that we're still learning. Yes, it's been it's been a fun ride. I really appreciate the the messiness in life and this is no exception to that rule. And I think for me in particular, I'm very structured and my day job is very analytical and left brain and so this has been something that has like stretched a different part of my personality and that has allowed me to be playful and fun with it and to let go of the perfectionism and this desire to please people and for it just to be something that is fun for you and I and this journey of of doing a business endeavor together. Mm-hmm. Yeah and for me I viewed it as a probably more of a creative pursuit or outlet which I'm I'm finding more and more that's my lane. Yeah, to be stepping outside of of that structure and just to be fully indulged in the creative process, which I I'm loving. Yeah, me too. Mm-hmm. And so right at the at the beginning of episode one, in our very first fumbly take, <laughs> probably the biggest learning uh, le- learning that I had from episode one is I was starting to share a piece of our childhood, and I made a statement that said, "Well, Sharice and I experienced this." And the look on on your face told me everything. I realized, oh, (laughs) that was my experience. That was clearly not your experience. Exactly. And and it goes to show just how, like I said, we can be raised in the same environment, the same people, but our perceptions of our upbringing is very different. Yes, 100%. Mm -hmm. And that was actually good learning for both of us because I think it was kind of hilarious at the same time because it's almost ironic. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. What was your first blooper or thing that you learned from the podcast? Mm, Good question. I'm really trying to think. I think I always focus on or really narrow in, I would say, on more logistics, like just how the voice is sounding, what you're using, if you're using too many filler words like um and Oh, and you agree. Really, yes. I said agree a lot yeah. in the first episode. And sometimes I'll be like, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> you just hear those <laughs> things loud and clear. I know it's probably not as evident to the audience, but when you're listening on on record and I'm editing, so I hear it many, many times, it's very apparent. Yeah, exactly. And I know in episode two, during our recording, we actually cut it out, although we wanted to talk about it on this episode as I was referring to a group of people in my friend circle and my support network, I used the word tribe. And then I stopped and I said, I don't want to use that word. That was essentially cultural appropriation. I want to re-record that and, and try again. And Sharice, actually, you encouraged me just to leave it in. And I said, 
no, only because we wanted that episode to be about the guest, showcasing the guest story. But I did want to have the conversation on this follow-up podcast today. Mm -hmm. I'm happy that we are just having a conversation about it and not just deleting it from our story and our journey because I think it it deserves some credit and some conversation around it. Yeah, and I think it's important for us to use our privilege, mm-hmm. like having a platform, using our voices in and of itself is privilege. Like we're in a privileged enough position that we have the safety to be able to use our voice and for that not to further marginalize us. And so I want to make sure that we're raising awareness where we can, mm-hmm. being inclusive and diverse in in the guests that we have on our podcast, and also having these conversations, which are not always comfortable, they're mm-hmm. uncomfortable, but having the conversation to help create collective awareness. Yes, absolutely. And it's interesting that you said, like I said, using our privilege. I heard something on an interview with Glennon Doyle, and she said as a white female, which both Chris and I are, the more we use our voice, the more we end up in spaces that we want to be and in rooms that we want to be in. And I don't think the same is true for people of color or race. Mm -hmm. I think the more they stand up and use their voice, the more they seem to be excluded. So I just wanted to highlight that as well, that even having this platform is is about our privilege. It is, 100%. And I also want to say, like, it didn't come... This isn't like a a choice for us to do something that's going to somehow be self-serving or give us a platform. Like for me, it's a part of me accepting this this strength. I, I referred to her as this wild girl that kind of emerged through the pandemic for me, which is really this warrior fire energy and a strength that has always been there. But I think I was suppressing it for so long because as Glennon Doyle also says, like I noticed that it's easier for the world to love a woman when she's suffering. Mm. And it's it's harder for the world to love a strong, successful, confident woman. I know even professionally, statistically, women, as they progress their careers and are in position, more increasingly in positions of power, the less they are liked and respected. And the opposite is actually true for men. So as they receive success and power, the more people respect and admire them. So I think it's hard as women, there is that invisible barrier there for us to feel like we almost have to dim our lights Mm -hmm. and water down our ambitions to to fit in so that we can keep the peace and please and, and create this dynamic where everybody feels comfortable but sometimes that for me personally has been at the expense of of myself and i think at some point i just got sick of it's almost like the the fear of of rejection or what would happen if i used my voice was was no longer strong stronger than the pain that was caused by not doing it mm-hmm. like it was i was sick of betraying myself basically yeah absolutely and i i can't say i've been in rooms in the same respect as Carissa, because I've always been in organizations that were female dominated. There wasn't very many male employees, if any. I did like what you said, oh, about managing the room. So I wanted to kind Mm. of touch on managing the room. And I think this extends beyond even women, just people who are sensitive or intuitive in general. It's that self-monitoring and self-regulation because you're aware of what everyone else is feeling in the room. If there's the people-pleasing, fear of rejection, trying to secure your position in that in that room, it's very much about othering 
Mm. Instead of acknowledging and recognizing where you might be or honoring yourself, it's very much about, okay, I can sense this person's very uncomfortable with what I'm saying or how I'm saying it. So there's constant adjusting. And I don't think every person has that awareness or quality. That's a great point. And thank you for pointing that out, that that's not something that is uniquely female either. Um, that is something that you're right. Some people just have this innate ability to to be able to sense or, or read and then adjust themselves accordingly. Mm-hmm. And I think this is purely my theory, but I believe that that also has come out of people with trauma struggle because there has been that real reality of rejection abandonment. And they had to learn how to survive. Yes. Right? Like their survival depended on being able to get what they could out of people, Mm -hmm. right? Like when your basic needs aren't being met, you learn to become very highly attuned to your surroundings and and how to survive in that environment. Exactly. And I think Oprah had stated that to her people-pleasing, quote-unquote, initiated from, same thing, her trauma, and then adding in the racial aspect as well. Mm -hmm. What else have, have you learned? Hmm... Well, I think the biggest learning curve has been the tech. Mm. Technologically, it's, I am not well versed in this realm at all. So it's been a steep learning curve, but it has been nice to have the support of a friend. Hopefully he's comfortable with us saying his name. We, we say his recording company, but his name is Joel. And he has been immensely helpful at kind of guiding us. Um, doing the sound editing, I do the content, but he does the sound, which was a huge relief and take over from him. So that, I, I think back to Gabe, Chris's son saying like, you can do hard things. And, and that's exactly what this tech experience has been. And I just repeat him in my head. Might I add, Sharice has been the sole tech expert. Yeah. Um, she has single-handedly figured out the technology for recording the podcast for how the mic and systems all work together, for how to record via Zoom and get all of the pieces together, and then in turn how to upload it onto a different platform. So thank you for all of the time that you put into figuring that out because uh, that is definitely not a strength of mine. You're welcome. Yeah, it's a learning curve. And I'm hoping as I get more fluent with it, it will be a little bit less stressful, more enjoyable, which I know it likely will. And I guess this is also something that's funny about my personality. My partner is very research-oriented and very calculated. So he he was always saying, like, why aren't you researching this more? Why aren't you, um, you know, almost like collecting field research even. And I'm kind of more of a do and figure it out as I go. <laughs> Yeah, less data collection, yeah. more real life experience. Yes, and and I'm okay if things don't go well now, which has been a huge growth for me because in the past that would have been complete fear of even starting it because like I was paralyzing yes, almost. Yeah, so afraid of the failure. So I think that's been something neat for me to see on my my path and and my healing. Yeah, and on like a a deeper soul level. We were mentioning Glennon Doyle earlier and the, the whole concept of we can do hard things. What has been your hard thing in the past year or during the pandemic? The positive side of this with the, the social isolation, it's taken away that pressure if you don't want to do those things. 
that I don't have to find an out or an excuse to say no, which has been an, a nice relief. Yeah, all introverts are celebrating yeah. uh, that they had some time to not have to do things. <laughs> mm-hmm. And even in the past, I was so extroverted. I don't know how much of this, though, was personality or driven by some wounding because I just relied on people for energy. I really need to be around people to connect and feel secure. So I, I was very externally seeking in the past. And and that's shifted completely now where I'm mm. much happier being on my own, in my space. And so I, it makes me wonder if that was more attached to a wound. So where you're at today on the spectrum of, because I believe everything is on a spectrum, mm-hmm. introversion, extroversion, where would you say you lie? Closer to the left introvert or closer to the right extrovert? I'd, I would say I'm between, so the middle of those is actually called ambivert. And I'm probably between the ambivert and the introvert now. Introvert, yeah. That's cool. How about you? Yeah, I would say much the same. I have extrovert qualities, but how I refuel myself, how I fill myself up, uh, I am completely an introvert. And even how I observe people in situations, like I I am definitely more of an introvert than an extrovert. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and interesting. Was that something you always knew as well, or did that evolve for you? That evolved. I would have said I was an extrovert, again, because I have extrovert qualities, and most people in my life probably actually thought I was an extrovert. But actually, my counselor said to me one day, he's like, I hope you take this as a compliment, but as a fellow introvert. And then after I left, I was thinking, I'm an introvert? (laughs) (laughs) So it's been uh, a bit of a learning for me, yeah. Yeah. Well, and to go deeper, to not skirt over the challenges of the pandemic, I want to go back to that. But probably within the last four years, I think there's been some surfacing of deep trauma, deep wounds. And this is the first time I've been in a long-term relationship in four and a half years. And so I find myself in the thick of my wounds rising. And before it was almost quote unquote easier to deal with because I didn't have a second person to consider. There wasn't a second stimuli. And even like a second energy in the house, like cohabiting, living with somebody is very different from living on your own. Mm -hmm. And then especially during COVID being almost with this person endlessly, which has been great. But then I find it's, it's amplified my wounds for sure. So I'm really navigating that. And luckily I have a mentor, a counselor that I reached out to fairly recently. And so that's been nice to try to to work through really embodied trauma. That's the part you can be so psychologically aware and understand and know what's, what, you know, what your triggers are, what's happening. But when it's embodied, there's this innate response that hijacks or takes over. And that's the part I'm trying to work through because, yes, psychologically, Cognitively, I'm like, oh, I got this. I know exactly why this is happening, but my body's still doing it, and I'm still yeah. in my fear response. And yeah, so that's exactly. that's why like, I need help. Well, and healing happens in in layers too, right? So like, yes, I mean, awareness is always the first first step, but to actually heal it like internally in your body and get it out is a whole other mm-hmm. thing, right? And then again, even when you're in a place where you feel like you're on quite stable footing, I think it's easy to fall back into those wounds. Like it, it, it definitely is like when a, when a scar happens, it's there for life. Yes. It just, it just, it, it slowly diminishes in color, but it, it's, it's always there. Mm-hmm. And thank you, by the way, for, for being so vulnerable and sharing that. And also for highlighting that you reached out for help because 
I think a lot of people, particularly with spousal relationships, don't actually seek that counseling. It's often easier to seek what you're missing inside of your relationship elsewhere or to say, like, you know, I want to be alone. This is too much for me. And then to break it off, right? But it, it takes courage to try to work through it together. Mm-hmm, absolutely. And that's also credit to my partner who has been on the journey with me and kind of along for the ride, whether he wanted to or not, but he is now. And so even just his openness to and reception to allowing me the space and time to work on myself and then simultaneously being open to my many invitations for him to do the same for himself. (laughs) (laughs) That's funny that we have that in common with our, with our relationships. I know my partner Steve said to me, we were talking about mentorship at work or professional development. And I said like, but aren't you like, don't you feel like you're craving that? Like, don't you need more? And he's like, Carissa, I get all of that at home. I'm good. <laughs> <laughs> yep. That's uh, that's part of being in relationship with the Schlotts. And we get that honestly from our mom as well. Yeah. And we're we're definitely like, because we're so driven for for personal growth and to try to make the world a better place, like Steve often uses the analogy that I'm running 20 feet ahead and he's just always trying to catch up. So sometimes he's like, can you just stop for a minute? Like, I, I just need like a minute to, to breathe and then you can keep running again. Yeah. And it's a, it's a good balance. It's the yin and yang part, right? Which I think that's, I know you've always been drawn to more calm characters and people who are really stable and grounded for that very reason. Yes, exactly. Mm-hmm. And uh, I haven't always been drawn to that. I've been drawn to the chaos, but I think that's because it was... <laughs> just kind of repeating some of my trauma patterns, but yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And I, I would say in my friendships, I do look for a bit of fire too, because there's almost like this like magic in the wildness of somebody that's just free and that doesn't give a fuck Mm -hmm. about trying to be a certain way or please people or whatever. Like I, I like in my friendships when there's a mix of water and fire, where there's actually a little bit of yeah, a little bit of zest for, for life and for pushing the norms. Yeah, I I would say the same for me in friendships. Absolutely. There's got to be like a fun and a playfulness to mm-hmm. it too, right? Yeah. Not all the time. Like sometimes deep conversations. Sometimes I just want to laugh and do something crazy. Yeah, exactly. Rebellious. I also just wanted to add about sharing my story and vulnerability. Because I do this for a living that doesn't feel overly vulnerable to me, it would be more vulnerable vulnerable to share kind of what's surrounding that. And I hope at some point I'm at the point where I can share that. And I, I, I hope to share that with the audience because I think that would, there's a lot of people that would probably resonate with it. So when I'm in a better space in regards to the trauma, I, I will, you can hold me to it that I will open, openly talk about it. That's something else that Sharice and I talked about as we were getting ready to do the podcast, that we only want to take our listeners to places that we've healed for ourselves. Yes. Because we don't want to create more trauma for for ourselves, but certainly not for our listeners either. And so, yeah, thank you for saying that. And, and at some point when you're ready, mm-hmm. I can't wait for you to share. Thank you. I think it's something that I need to hear as well. Like, you know, put myself back into my scenario. I feel and I felt very alone in a month. I'm the only one that is experiencing this. Like, what is wrong with me? And so having someone to say, hey, this is what my body is doing and it's kind of beyond my control would be really, it would have been really helpful for me in those moments. So hopefully others will find that as well. Yeah, they definitely will. 
And so, Carissa, what about you? What have you found has been really challenging in the past year and a half, two years with the COVID situation? So I'd say like right out of the gate in the early days of COVID, when they were announcing the school closures, it actually happened on a Sunday night right as my husband was leaving for work. And his final words as he left the house were, check the news, something big just happened. And so he left. I was alone with the boys. I think I was already probably worrying about what was going to happen at work the next day, as I typically do on Sunday night. Thank you, anxiety. Mm-hmm. And I pulled up the news and it said that schools were going to be closed on Monday. And I was thinking in my head, how am I possibly going to uh, homeschool, work my full-time job, fear of the pandemic? All like all of it was was bubbling. And so that was probably the hardest day was that the, the very first day that they announced it for me personally, because it, it created this sense of lack of control. Mm. And for the first time in over a decade, I like had eating disorder thoughts where I just wanted to binge and purge. Like I just wanted to control something and like get it out of my body somehow. And so that was a really strange thing. Like it was like, where did that thought come from? Mm-hmm. And so, th- yeah, the, the very beginning I would say was, was a bit of a challenge for me. And then thankfully, because my husband was at home with us during the pandemic, his calm, grounded, center nature nature kept me very calm for the rest of the pandemic. And I also knew that our sons were well taken care of. And so then I didn't have stress about their well-being while I was working in an essential industry that was busier than ever. So that, would, I would say, was a challenge at the very beginning of the pandemic for me personally. And then as we got into more of the summer months, I think it was it was almost like this this bubbling was happening in me where I was, I could feel that there was growth coming and I felt scared. Like I felt definitely very vulnerable that there was this, yeah, this, this rumbling or this unearthing and, and my identity was shifting in my leadership, in how I wanted to use my voice, because I had realized I was taking on this role of wanting to be kind mm-hmm. and wanting to be nice and wanting to be inclusive of everybody but what was happening is I was getting swallowed up in that and trying to be that peacemaker between people and relationships. And so I felt this wild girl calling. I actually wrote about it. It felt at the time like I was kind of like I was in a cage and that there was like smoke, dark smoke was billow- billowing in and I knew I was going to have to leave the cage, but I was so scared. Another analogy is it was almost like <laughs> I, was an, I was a baby elephant uh, chained up to a pole and at one point in my life, and now I've grown into this very large elephant. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good analogy. <laughs> and the chain probably wasn't even isn't even attached anymore. But I realized I could certainly pull over this small twig that my chain was attached to and and run free. And there was definitely this yeah all of this like wild warrior strength that was coming up. I think yeah it was almost like an identity shift where I realized like I can be kind and I can be strong. I can be gentle and I can be a force. And I don't have to choose between the two of them. I can be multifaceted. I can be all of those things. And I can still let my my heart and my intention come through in that. Beautiful. Thank you for sharing. I'm really excited and jazzed about this topic because it's so recent on my mind. But this idea that we don't want to hurt anybody. Yes. It is impossible hmm. to not hurt anybody. Because no matter how you respond to something, you can never predict what someone's own wounds are, what their challenges are. And that's also not your business or your onus to take on. Yes. This is obviously something that's rattled in my brain because I've thought about this deeply. But the other side of that is if people aren't uncomfortable, then we never have 
to grow. We never have to change. We never have to face things that are difficult. Yeah. And I think for both of us, because we see people I, and because we are so authentic and vulnerable, I think lots of times it's almost like we hold up a mirror for people and it's scary for them. And so, and they don't, they might not want to change and they might not want to grow and they might not want to talk about their feelings and that's totally okay. Yeah. But, but I think before I was taking that on, like that was somehow my burden to carry, like, why can't I make this person feel comfortable or mm-hmm. why can't I help this person or whatever? And, and you're right. It's, it's not up to me. That's, that's egoic to think that I can, I somehow hold this power to do that. Yes. That's their journey. Yeah. I'm on my journey. The other component of this is, I think, societally, I don't know if this has changed or this has always been, but I think there's an aversion to discomfort. We want, we have this subconscious bias or buy-in that life should be easy or things should be easy. Mm-hmm. And rocking the boat has been perceived as, quote unquote, bad. Good point. And- I'm like, that belief to me, I think, just needs to be challenged in general because life is uncomfortable. And messy. Yeah, there's nothing... You you cannot avoid feeling uncomfortable. You can. You're, but you're, in the end, you're going to be miserable because that's going to mean that you shut out all people and all, like... Yeah. <laughs> if you're in a relationship with anybody, yes. it's, it gets complicated and messy and uncomfortable. Yes. So, I mean, if you if you want to live a life with no love, maybe, but like, I don't know, I feel like there's that would be way more painful than just feeling it all. Mm-hmm, exactly. And this is the duality of life. The When I often talk about the light and shadow aspects of existence, it's very much this, you can't have love without pain. You can't know the full spectrum of happiness if you haven't experienced sadness. So with one always comes the other. Yeah. And then there's also that saying that if you don't fully feel the darkness, you also can't fully feel the light. Yeah. And that's true. It's funny, the gift of... I think both depression and anxiety for me, like depression pulls me in this vicious cycle of looking at the past and dwelling on what I could have done better. And the anxiety is about worrying about what's coming in the future. And I feel like being present in the moment is almost like a muscle. Like it takes practice to be able to stay in the present moment. Certainly having kids has really helped me with that because they're always in the present moment and they're hilarious. If you actually slow down enough just to like watch them going through life in the present moment, it's hilarious. And they don't care what you have in the past or the future. They, yeah, it's not even a thought in their mind. Totally. And yet I can remember probably one of the most simple days we were, it was completely uneventful. We were on a walk as a family. We stopped at a park. And I sat on the, on the swing, and I was just swinging on the swing beside my son. And the, sh- the light was shining. The sun was shining from the sky. And it was just like the way that the sun hit me as while well, I was on the swing. I'm getting emotional just even talking about it. It was the most, like, euphoric feeling I've ever felt in my life. Like, I'd, I'd never felt a, a, a high, for lack of a, of a better word, like that. And it was so insignificant. It was just a simple moment. But I, I would never have been able to f- experience that level of happiness had I not gone through all of the, yeah, all of the sadness. That even speaks to presence because there is beauty all around us. But when we're wrapped up in past or future, we do not, we're not open to that beauty. Yeah. And we, and life reflects back to us what we want to see. Mm-hmm. We have selective attention. Yeah. And so if you're looking for the good in people, if you're looking for the light in people, if you're looking for, uh, surrounding yourself with other people that are happy, like that's what naturally 
I think comes into your life. Yes. But I also want to put a caveat on that because sometimes that can be a scapegoat to the reality of difficulty or splitting off from aspects of yourself that you don't like or even feelings. Like if you don't want to feel uncomfortable, if you don't want to feel angry, you want to avoid conflict, it's very easy to pass it off on on a movement of like positive psychology to keep yourself safe in that bubble. Yeah, great point. So I think there is a delicate balance and that's where I fall onto the Eastern philosophy because it's about living in that the non-duality of life and that's the middle ground between both of those spaces. Yeah. As you were saying that, I was thinking, okay, so we both shared something that was our, our hard thing from the past year. And then I was thinking, just reflecting on our, our relationship, like what's something that's been hard or challenging or what we've been working through in our relationship. Yeah. And I personally feel like we're in a, a really good place. And something that I've realized about myself since doing this podcast is I give so much of myself to everything that I do. Like when I commit to something or it's like a passion, I, it's, it's like I have this internal drive and this external drive and I can't turn it off. I am just going full steam ahead. But then what happens is if I overcommit to too many things, I use up all of my energy on whatever I'm doing and I leave so little in the tank that if somebody else in my life needs me, if you need me, my friend Robin actually said this to me at one point too, like she, she needed me, but she was afraid to reach out to me because she knew how much I was already carrying. And so something that I've learned through doing this podcast with you is just the importance of of dedicating that time. And so because now I'm, I'm able to put some of that energy into our podcast, I also feel like I'm giving you that time and energy that I probably haven't always carved out for you. So mm, yeah, that's, thank you. And that's a really good point. I feel very lucky and privileged to have had the opportunity in my life to step outside of the rat race. Mm. So almost like I feel like I plucked myself out of it <laughs> and, and put myself outside of it to wherever that is. And I, I observe everyone in it, <laughs> but I'm just like, oh, I'm not getting back in there. I feel very fortunate that I can prioritize my life by people and relationships because that's when I feel fullest. Yeah. That's amazing. And I was also like just envisioning how funny that would be to like be outside observing the madness of what most of our lives look like. Like, why do we do that? Why, why does society like, it's just, it's funny. It's a well, funny thought. Only like maybe three or four years ago, I was in that rat race. And I, every time I talked to someone, it was, I'm so busy. I'm so busy. I can't make time for this. I'm so busy. I can't make time for the things I want. And then at some point now I, you know, in hindsight, I look at that and I say, but those are all choices I made. I was just going to say that busy is a choice. Mm -hmm. And it's hard when you, if you have like creative vision, I know life is financially de demanding and it's not so, so easy or simple to just say, hey, don't take on too much. But this, it's very much goes back to that quote that I, I posted just a week ago. But if you say yes to this now. What are you going to have to say no to later? Yes. Yes. And it's so hard in the moment. It's so hard to come up with reasons to quickly validate it and to say yes. Something that I've been working on, a very similar concept, is for me personally, if it's not a hell yes, mm -hmm. then it's a no. It's a hell no. <laughs> it's a hell no. And that was Elaine Wentworth, I think, who shared that quote. I, I went to, 
think it was a Women in Leadership conference a number of years ago, where I actually had the privilege of seeing um, both her and Glennon Doyle speak. And it was as they were just kind of rising to this next level of fame. So they both hold like this extra special place in my soul. Elaine is now on the talk and one of two women of color on the panel. Coming back to Yes Now, No Later, it also ties into this very notion of discomfort. Because humans are wired for short-term reward. You have to interrupt that process to orient yourself to long-term gain or reward. And Ooh. and so in the moment, this is, I think, this is my theory why it's so difficult to say no, especially if you're an intuitive, empathic people pleaser. It is more important in that moment to make that person feel comfortable or to validate the other person than it is to think, okay, long-term, this is going to put me out X, Y, Z. Yes. I was going to share something else that I learned after our first episode was released. So a shout out to our number one fan, my oldest son, Gabe, who has probably listened to the episode, I don't know, 50 times. He listens to it before he goes to bed. I don't know if it's the comfort in hearing our voices or what exactly it is, but anyways, he likes listening to it. And on the car ride home after he had heard it for the first time, we always do at the end of the day our peak and our pits, so our, our, our favorite part of the day and the challenging part of our day. And he said, mom, my pit today was that you, you thought you failed as a mom. And I started crying, obviously, in the car. I was like, oh, buddy, like what that means is that, is that I feel like I'm, I'm not always giving you my best and that sometimes I make mistakes and I'm human too. And he said, I want you, want you to know that you're, you haven't failed as a mom. You're the best mom ever. Oh, yeah. Gosh, kids are like just good mirrors for you. And they're always listening and they're always watching. Yeah. That was something else that I, yeah, that I picked up from the episode is that, um, yeah, others, others don't always see us as we see ourselves. Yes, absolutely. (laughs) You know, I always think if you could look at yourself through somebody else's eyes for one day. Oh, yes, totally. Yeah. I, have, I I probably say that to most of the people on my team on a regular basis. That's probably one of the most recurring. I wish you could see me. No, I wish you could see you through my eyes. And you said that to me so much, especially during my struggles. Mm-hmm. And yeah, and, and but that was helpful because I had to rely on other people's opinions because I knew I could not trust my own at that point. Yeah. And that's something that I also see as a common thread, particularly amongst women, is that confidence piece. The critic voice is louder than the voice that says you're enough or you're wonderful. Actually, that is everyone. For some reason, our brain, our psyche retains, and I think this is probably evolutionary. Yeah. It retains negatives per se. I don't usually love using that word. It retains that I think three times as well as some positive feedback. Wow. I believe. Well, and hey, this is something that mom did, which drove us nuts. But when we'd have family talks, (laughs) we would have to say three positives for every negative. Which, hey, I think she she was probably onto something with the the concept of including constructive feedback. Yes. However, in a very formal family setting where our dad just made jokes about (laughs) whatever the positive (laughs) or negative things were and didn't actually share real positive and negative things, uh, sitting down to to share three positive things about each other first uh, was a bit of a, like, yeah, 
was a, it was very comical, I guess. Yeah, but I think it was probably actually based in some science. Yeah, I think it was brilliant, mom. Like I feel yeah. like I, I mean, I don't, maybe just don't, not saying it, like I'm going to share three positive things and then I'm going to share, like, <laughs> I think if you just naturally like yeah. give somebody a few compliments before you share something that's negative, that's probably a good <laughs> approach. But yeah, maybe just less formal. Yeah. And I think also side note why that bothered me so much is because I was such a closed person at that time. Uh, so you didn't want to to open up about yeah anything. No, and I still had the same dark view of not of other people but of myself. So even if somebody said something, I would never have been able to receive it. Uh, oh, that's really interesting. So when somebody gives you a compliment, or at that time, like embodying that that version of Sharice, if somebody gave you a compliment, like you didn't even take it in, like did you feel it anywhere in your body? No, no, no. I, w- I would be fighting with that compliment, like... Like combating it almost? Yes, like giving yeah, proof yeah, that it wasn't yeah, true? Exactly, yeah. No, that's not... Or like, that's bullshit, that's a lie. And then it'd be like, all of this voice, like, the, here's why, here's the evidence why you're a piece of shit. Wow. Yeah. So it it almost like amplified the negative because it was like, I have to counter this tenfold. Interesting. See, like I definitely had lots of loops of negative feedback during my times when I was struggling a lot. But when somebody complimented me, I felt it. Like I think I always had like an underlying layer of self-worth in there that like I could use as a foundation. And so when someone gave me a compliment, like I allowed it to come in. I didn't maybe fully accept it or fully feel it, but I at least let it in. Mm-hmm. That's probably why you weren't in a mental mental institution. Okay, <laughs> <laughs> hey, I still got a few years to go. Yeah. You never know. Side note, that does not work out very well. Don't do that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Adam Grant actually said something that was so interesting to me. So there is actually a difference between, what did he say? confidence and self-esteem or something but it was that because I always I'm like okay I have low self-esteem and and confidence but what it actually is about is the stability with with that relationship so it isn't so much how you view yourself it's how easily you can stray from that if that makes sense oh so it's more about this so people that maybe have a better self-esteem have more stability in how they view themselves there's, I, I almost feel like gravity. There's like, there's, there's like a gravitational force in some people that, ha- yeah, that stability force that then, yeah, when that self-esteem, they can, they can draw back to it. Exactly. And so that's where I was like, oh, ding, ding, because I always kind of despise that. Like, oh, you have low self It's like, yeah, I know I do. But I knew there was something more than when the stability piece came in. I said, that is exactly what it is because in some avenues I can have it, but then sometimes it's gone that quickly. And even now? Or can you find can you find it and ground into it? Yes. Now I have I have that the space. It's not even attached to myself per se. I have a space within myself that I ground to. Oh. There's this is the the knowing and this extends beyond the ego, beyond the I. Yeah. But there's a space within myself that I know I'm safe, I'm secure, it, I'm connected. So that's where I go now when I feel instability. For some reason, I'm curious to ask like. Where in your body do you, is it in your body that you feel that? Or can you explain? It is within, it's in my core, but then it, it goes beyond me. I don't know how to explain that so much. It's like. Almost like a hollow tree. Yeah. Like my, my form evaporates. So I'm just in, I'm just this space. And this is kind of very much about the transpersonal component of psychotherapy, but it's, 
It's moving beyond notions of self. Wow. And that's the only thing because I never had self-attachment very easily and because it was always such a tumultuous relationship, I had to find something beyond myself to connect with. Wow. That's really cool. Mm -hmm. See, and I have this. I've always had. It's definitely in my core. It's like it's it's a fire in my belly. It's a force that I can't even explain but it's always been there. Mm-hmm. And when you, when I know you connect with light, right? Because your, your example you shared earlier, you experience that with the light. But do you ever leave your body with it? Or is it just you feel it in every with, cell of with your With the light? Um, only recently, only over mm-hmm. the past year, I'd say, like since COVID happened. Um, yeah, where I've been able to fully leave my body, which I, yeah, I used the word like a euphoria. It was a euphoric yes. feeling, but that yeah. was the first time that I had ever like fully left my body, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Where it's kind of, a, and it's, it's not even like, I know people get freaked out and I've done this in meditations where I want them to move beyond their body because our brain can't conceptualize that. So it starts to panic, <laughs> but it's not about killing yourself or it's not sadistic or dark in that way. It's just very much about we're all just energy. We're energetic beings. We're full of vibrating cells. And it's just we have such a strong attachment to self and ego that it seems almost unimaginable that we can be anything but that. Yes. And so as we're talking about this energy, finding our unique feminine power and energy, when you hear fight like a girl, Mm -hmm. What does that mean to you? Because I'm loosening in my attachment to self and my story and whoever I think I need to be, I draw on more archetypal figures. So for me, when I want to be a warrior, I think of the goddess Kali and a mentor in my past helped me with this fire energy. And she wore a necklace of skulls of all of the men and people she had demolished. And (laughs) that is my warrior. That's my imagery. That's my archetype. I'm just going to go burn some shit down. <laughs> I love it. What about it's you? It's funny. I um, I also took up, uh, shout out to my friend Pradeep. I also took up acupuncture this year for the first time, uh, which is a very interesting experience. I would highly recommend it. It's definitely helped with anxiety and, and like almost like getting energy flowing through my body where it gets stuck in places. I know when I had a lot of feminine energy coming up that was really fiery, uh, getting the needle in my angry toe in particular was uh, a point of pain. Um, however, when I was lying on the table, the very first time I did acupuncture, as I was feeling all this warrior energy for the first time and really letting it come up, I had suppressed it for so long. I almost envisioned that I was like Mulan, doing Tai Chi with a sword and I was preparing for battle. Um, And so I kind of come back to that, yeah, that like strong but calm, powerful energy. And that's how I feel my warrior. Mm, Cool. That's how I fight like a girl. And just so the listeners all know, Krissa was making the Tai Chi movements with her hands (laughs) and pretending the sword was there as well. So it was very cool. Sorry you missed out on that. I, I cut off the mic with my imaginary sword. Yeah. Yeah, and I like the notion of life flowing through me. So that same spot that I connect to, which is like through my core of my being, I feel like all of the wisdom and everything I need is in the ethos. It's all just flowing through me. And so I don't need to be anything or I just don't need to attach to anything. It's just when I need something, I let that flow through me and and become that, if that makes sense. Oh, that is powerful. As we're talking about energy, I don't know. This is Yeah, we we didn't even know we were going. No, this is awesome. 
I just was thinking about something else that I know uh, working in a male-dominated industry that a lot of other women struggle with is when you're in a confined space with somebody and there's a, a power dynamic or there's this sense of they're, they're trying to have power over you, a really powerful visualization tool that you helped me with this when, when I was struggling with a, a difficult conversation was, again, not to dim my light, but to imagine as I was sitting in the office with this person that I was surrounded with this kind of bubble of light Again, the light, I identify mm-hmm. with the light. Um, almost like this this protectionary bubble around me. And also that I was extending my light to every corner in the room. So I wasn't going to shrink. I was going to expand and I was going to shine my light almost through that person <laughs> in order to hold hold my space. Yeah, and that's so, so beautiful and so powerful for me. Like I think that does more than words. And I don't know if you experience this, sis, but I oftentimes I feel guilt or sometimes shame when I'm not using my voice. Mm-hmm. And I know that's been a wound and it doesn't really help, nor does it prepare me for the next situation because I'm just not very flexible in the moment because we've talked about this. We're not overly used to dealing with conflict. We don't enjoy it. So I don't always have access to full resources in the moment. Mm-hmm. Actually, very infrequently do I. And so that was something I'm like, okay, if I can't use my words, at least I have I can still hold some some ground without self-abandoning yes. completely. That at least energetically you can hold your space, like hold your ground. Yes. Even if you don't say the things you wish you would have said or don't have the, yeah, the words. Because lots of times it happens too very unpredictably. Like it happens when you don't have time to prepare to know what to say or how to react. And so it's like how to like, yeah, just stay strong in yourself in that in that time to like to listen or to be curious about the other person. But but also not to allow that energy to shrink you. Yes. Yeah, exactly. I also wanted to add, when we were kind of talking about, I know we're going to move away from the energy thing, everyone, just so you know. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, this is a little bit woo-woo for you. Yeah. If you're not. So this is a practice I loved. And this, again, was part of my non-dual belief system. But everybody is just pretending. Because nobody actually can predict the future. Nobody actually knows what's coming around the corner. Uh, We're all just pretending. We're walking around every day pretending to be somebody, pretending to show up at our job and know what we're doing. And that, I love that analogy because it gives me freedom. Mm. That I'm like, nobody has this figured out. Yeah. And a a playfulness of like, you can, you can be a bit of a a shapeshifter Mm -hmm. and that you can be whoever you want to be. And you can change that at any time. Yes. And I would say, in fact, the people that seem to have the most are the most expert or seem to have the, have it all together, I would say, are probably the best pretenders. Ooh. hmm So don't trust them. No, I just think that's a highly refined skill and that's, uh, that's it. <laughs> so let's change gears and try to reach some semblance of... Conclusion. Do you have any ideas on that? All right. So to wrap it up for our fast five, because we already did it uh, together on our first episode, and because my sons, Gabe and Bodie, have been wanting to do a podcast with us, we're going to do fast five with Gabe and Bodie. Yes. So stay tuned for that. Let's end this with a, a question. My question would be, what does it mean to you? To fight like a girl. Nice. 
I don't even think I can top that. So we're going to leave it there. Boom. Hi, I'm Gabe. Hi, my name is Bodie. Oh, great. And Bodie, the first question is for you. Who would win in a fight, T-Rex or Carnotaurus? Carnotaurus or T-Rex? Yeah, between yeah, the two. Who would who win? Would win? Uh, I think Carnotaurus or T-Rex. Yep, T-Rex. T-Rex, T-Rex. Okay. Go, go, T-Rex. Next question is for Gabe. Who is going to win in a hockey game? The Oilers or the Flames? Oilers. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Bodie, who is your favorite superhero? Spider-Man. And who is the fastest superhero? Sonic. No, Flash. You think Flash, Gabe? Yeah. Okay, Gabe, what is your favorite drink or dessert from Starbucks? A cake pop. And what kind? Is it the pink one? Yeah. Birthday cake. And Bodie, what cake pop do you like? The chocolate one. Yeah. Okay, boys, it's time for you to tell the listeners a joke. Okay, Gabe, what's your joke? Knock, knock. Who's there? Orange. Orange who? Orange. Orange who? Banana. Banana who? You glad I didn't say orange again? Yes, I'm orange. I am glad. Bodie, can you tell me the knock-knock joke about the boo? Knock-knock. Who's there? Boo. Boo who? Don't cry, little baby. Don't cry, little baby. <laughs> nice one. Good one. Okay, is it the last question now? Last yes. question. Okay, recess. Okay. okay. What is your hope or dream for the world, Gabe? Red. Uh, your birthday could be every single day. That's oh, a great one. I wish it was my birthday every day. Bodie, what's, what's your hope for the world? I hope my birthday all the time. You wish it was birthdays all the times? Yeah, and and my f- favorite is Legoland with palm trees. Oh, and Legoland with palm trees. That's it. Good, good, good. Guys, do you want to say goodbye? Goodbye. Fight like a girl. Fight like a girl. Hi, my name is Bodie. I hope you stay safe. Hi, my name is Gabe. I hope you have a great day. Audio production by Joel Vargasi at Lewis Studios.